We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Once again, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Willett, and I'm joined this weekend by Tyler Grizzagork and Perry Goldstein joining us, forming another dynamic trio here on the Sunday editions of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. And I guess, guys, how are you doing on this on this day? You guys ready to talk some more green and gold Packer? <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, there might not be a lot to talk about right now, but actually, we have news today for the first time in a while, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about that, but... Um, Packers football is always something I'm down to talk about. Absolutely, and and news is usually dumped on either a Friday or midweek. But yeah, with on the on getting ready for stuff, the coaches that kind of start to return back to Green Bay next week, they do have some personnel moves that were made, and that's namely the restructuring of the contract of Lane Taylor. And uh, I know we were talking earlier. We you guys saw a tweet about the financials. I guess Perry, what have you seen for the financial aspect of of getting Taylor? into a little bit deal and a little bit more cap room for the Packers. Yeah, well, it's freed up um, some cap space. I know he's taking a little bit of a pay cut, but it's actually allowed and given us about $8 million um, in cap space now, which I think is plenty of room to make a move on a free agent if if the Packers wanted to. That's very much so either free agent or maybe save some room for some re-signings. Or, and I guess, Tyler, what, what have you seen about, about this deal and 
and how, what Brian Gutekunst has done. Well, I, I, after the Packers were unable to move Lane Taylor prior to the draft, I really felt like he was going to be a Packer in 2020. And this kind of just solidifies that. I think uh, it was the, the godfather himself, Andy Herman, talking about how the extra 100K basically guarantees his spot on the roster. And I don't disagree. I think that it's now pretty much a lock that Lane Taylor is going to be your sixth offensive lineman pushing for snaps uh, in 2020. Um, in terms of what they can do with the money that they saved, I think it was about $3 million specifically from uh, the restructure. It, you know, there's a couple guys out there that we can talk about, uh, Snacks Harrison, Tremont Williams, Taylor Gabriel. Those are just some of the names that the Packers could look to bring in as another veteran presence in the wide receiver room or another body on the defensive line, which I think is probably the most important area to address. Um, there, There's some things that they can still do, and I think that I don't know if $3 million is going to go a long way in towards – the Kenny Clark re-signing, uh, re excuse me, but I do believe it could go towards bolstering this team in other areas. Yeah, very, very much so. And you, you, we talk about the guys they could bring in. You, we talk about Snacks Harrison, Mike Daniels. They've already brought in Traylon Hester. And if if you had to choose between the free agents out there to use this money on, who would it be, Tyler? Taylor Gabriel. I think that that he really is the best fit. Um, not only from a experience standpoint, but from a schematic standpoint, he has familiarity with Matt LaFleur. I think it's just really, it would be a really solid late offseason move to bring in a veteran receiver like Taylor Gabriel to really provide some spark to an offense that desperately needs it. Man, what are your thoughts, Perry? Who would you bring in? Yeah, I'm I'm all on board for Taylor Gabriel um, as well, but I, I personally have a very... Um, intense, I'd say, connection to Tremont Williams, and I think he still has a lot of juice left. Um, I would love to have him back for one more year. I think we could get him on a vet minimum. I think he'd be willing to come back and finish his career with Green Bay. I think his vet presence in that room is really important, given how young some of the guys are. Um, we want some of the younger guys who we'll talk about later, I think, um, to develop, and he is the exact, you know, perfect um, teammate to have there to, to aid in that. Um, I do understand the thought a little bit about, you know, he does take snaps away from guys we want to be on the field, but um, he could still be kind of a rotational and he holds that slot down so well. No, I agree with both of those. Uh, I actually do still have a soft spot as well for, for Mike Daniels. I know it took me a long time to come around on the thought of a re, uh, reunion with the Iowa product, but seeing some of his workout stuff, seeing some of the comments he's made, they they need a guy in the defensive line who can really be stout against the run, who can really hold up and is not is not afraid to take on double teams. And Daniels is that, and plus he's a guy where he's got that attitude. I would love to see him and Zadarius Smith kind of riff off each other in the locker room. I think it'd be really entertaining at least, and just the intensity of his defense would ratchet up even more with a guy like Daniels in the in the fold. But Gabriel and Williams would also be fine. Or use the money to try and maybe re look at re-signing Kevin King or Aaron Jones or David or David Bakhtiari, Devonta Adams, anyone like that, because three million is a lot, and we don't know with how everything's going, how the cap's going to change in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Because if things get delayed, if fans can't come into the stadium, that changes things a ton as far as how the cap will either go up, say the same, or even maybe even drop a little bit in, in, coming up. So. There's a, there's a lot of moves that could be made, a lot of decisions for Brian Gutekunst to make with with things starting to progress as we move into June. With that being said, I think it's time we jump into our main topic, which is kind of looking at the 2018 draft class and also the undrafted guys. 
who who are some pretty important ones and what to expect for them in year three, what to look for, and maybe temper our expectations a little bit as we get ready for this season. So as, as we jump right into the class, we'll start with with their draft class, and we'll start with the 18th overall pick, which was, of course, Jair Alexander out of Louisville. They traded it down originally, got an extra first-round pick, which was later used on Darnell Savage the next year, traded back up with old friend Seattle to get Jair Alexander at 18, and he's quickly become one of the top cornerbacks in the game. He, he might now be the best quarterback in the NFC North with the departure of Darius Slay out of Detroit. And, and Perry, we'll go to you first. What are your expectations for Jair in year three, and how can he continue to improve himself? Yeah, this is the year, I think, where the league is going to finally see that he is an elite shutdown corner. We go up against um, some pretty big wide receivers this season and Julio Jones and Michael Thomas. And I think that this is going to be the year that Jair really shows the rest of the league, especially in those primetime games, that he can he can go up against the best. Um, I know that, like you said, in the NFC North, he's known as being that guy, but I don't think that he's you know, yet considered elite around the NFL. Um, I would love to see him, you know, snag a few more interceptions. I think he knows that that's um, what the difference is between him, you know, let's say getting voted to the Pro Bowl or not, not that I pay attention to that much, but, you know, he he's great in press man and he's, you know, he's really hard to throw the ball against, but I think he drops some opportunities um, to take the ball away. And that's what I would love to see him do more this season. Absolutely. I know he's made comments about wanting to make sure he makes the Pro Bowl be a top 10 corner. And Tyler, what are your thoughts on Jair? And can he be that a top 10 corner in the NFL this year? If he's not one already, honestly, I mean, the the natural ability from Jair Alexander is just oozing. And when, we saw it uh, when he matched up with Brandon Cooks. Not a lot of corners could do what he was doing against Brandon Cooks. And the the development has been apparent. I would like to see him take that next step and get out of his own way and make some of those plays, get out of his own head and really finish some of those plays that he had the opportunity to do last year. And once he starts to do that, once he starts to get those interceptions, create those turnovers, be that true difference maker, we're going to, he's going to take off in terms of NFL namesake. And I'm I'm ready for it. I'm excited for him. I'm ready for it. And uh, I can't wait for 2020 because I do think he's going to have a big, big role, even bigger than he already has in this Packers defense. Mike Patton's been looking for that guy to really use as a chess piece. And I I think Jair Alexander can be that guy. I don't think we're going to see him specifically only in coverage this year. I think we'll see him be blitzed a little bit more. I think we'll see him moved around. He's just going to be used in a lot of different ways. And I think that Patton's going to do everything he can to get the most out of Jair Alexander. Yeah, there's no doubt. He's definitely a prime candidate to move inside in, in their nickel and dime uh, with which Ryan Williams currently not on the roster. He could be that guy who steps in and gets those replacement spots. And like Tyler said, could be a little bit more blitzing, a little bit more more active up front. And hopefully he doesn't ha- bounce off A.J. Dillon like he did in that, that classic Boston College highlight from from the Louisville game in which Dillon sent Jair his soul. But, well, that being said, he wasn't the only cornerback drafted by the Packers in 2018. At pick 45 out of Iowa, they took Josh Jackson. And I remember when this pick was made, how excited I was because he was listed as a first-round pick. I'd watched a lot of Iowa games. I watched how he had dominated Ohio State. And I thought him and Alexander and King are going to be a trio for this team for a long time. And he had a decent rookie year. He was solid. 
but then last year got hurt and couldn't get back on the field on defense, played a lot of special teams, and never really was able to get his spot back over guys like Chandon Sullivan or Tremont Williams. But now he's got that opportunity again, a year three under Patton. And Tyler, I'll go back to you first. What are your thoughts on Jackson? Can he step in to, to the field on defense again, and can he can he make an impact on this defense? Well, cornerbacks historically take a little bit longer to uh, to adapt to the NFL game, and when you take a guy like Josh Jackson, who already had some problems uh, at the college level, you knew he was going to be a project coming into the NFL. You knew he was going to have to learn how to do things that he did not do at college which doing that at the NFL level is going to be even harder. So he was always going to take time to become that that man corner that you wanted him to be, considering he played zone primarily at Iowa, and he had tremendous ball skills, and that was really what made him so exciting as a prospect. And so you want to see him take that step forward this year. Ultimately, I don't know if he's a good fit for this team, and he never he never really was. You were kind of trying to take a, a square and put it into a round hole, and it, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's it's – We'll see if he has a good off season. You know, you mentioned he was hurt last year. That that's a critical year. His second year in the NFL. That's when he can really learn and latch on to a guy like Tremont Williams and really learn a lot. And I think that this whole secondary last year uh, really did learn a lot by having Adrian Amos in the back and then having Tremont Williams as a basically a coach on the field as well. Without Tremont Williams, we'll see what Josh, how Josh Jackson can continue to learn. They obviously believe in him. They moved on from Jamar Moore, who we'll talk about a little bit, in a little bit. They moved on from Jamar Moore, who they felt did not develop at a rate that they wanted. So they obviously believe in him, and I'm excited to see what he can do with another full offseason under his belt. Absolutely. And, and Perry, what are your thoughts on Josh Jackson? Do you think he takes that next step? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Tyler said, too. I think an, another thing I always think about is, you know, Luckily for us, our team was very healthy last season, and we had Jair and Kevin and Tremont on the field pretty much for all 16 games, all game, and that doesn't leave a lot of room for other guys to take those snaps. And so I think this season he does have an opportunity if he seizes it. Um, but you're right. I think I'm not sure he fits, and I think it says a lot that Chandon Sullivan gets those snaps over him. Um but I was really excited about him. I thought we got him at really great value. He had a first-round grade, but we got him in the second round. Um, I think if this this is definitely his prove-it season, I think one more season to see if he makes that leap and um, gets to see the field. But I also think that if it's the case we feel like we need to move on, he'd be a pretty good trade candidate. Yeah, there's definitely that that chance that he could get moved if, if things don't work. But I also do think that he at the very least, is a core four guy on special teams. He seemed to embrace it under Sean Menenga, along with another guy who we'll talk about their next pick that they drafted, who was in a, very much the same boat, just had a different position, and that's Oren Burks. Uh, Burks drafted 88th overall. They traded up from with Carolina to get him on day two, the inside linebacker out of Vanderbilt, and much like Josh Jackson, injuries really hurt Burks in both of his years. He, he looked dynamite his rookie training camp, gets hurt warming up for a preseason game and has a pectoral injury. And and last year, more injuries step in, and he and he just seemed snake bit the first two seasons. The team's still high in him. They still think he can make some plays. But but like Josh Jackson, this is a proving year, especially at such an unsettled spot at inside linebacker. Because if he can step in and be that coverage guy, he can be the player everyone thought. They, they rave about his football IQ. They rave about his athleticism. 
but he's got to be on the field. And, and, and Perry, I'll go to you first this time. What do you think on Oren Burks? And is he ever going to be able to stay healthy enough to get on the field, or or is he just going to be a guy who's a perpetual tease? I mean, I hope so. I, I hope for his sake and for our team's sake that he stays healthy this season. I mean, I think inside linebacker is um, – kind of wide open. We have got Christian Kirksey. We know he's going to start, but who's going to be next to him? And it's going to be Oren or Ty Summers or maybe Curtis Bolton. They all have kind of this huge window of opportunity to step up and say, I'm going to take that second inside linebacker slot. Um, I hope it's Oren. I think he's he has a lot, like you said, his football IQ is so high. And I think we lose that a little bit when we lost Blake Martinez. Of course, Christian Kirksey as the vet will be able to pick up, I think, Petten's defense quickly. But Burks has been the one who's been in the system longest. Um, I think he needs to get a little bit quicker. Like I'd like to see his side sideline to sideline speed improve. And I think if he can do that, um, he'll carve out a really nice role for himself. But again, it all hinges upon staying healthy. Um, and you hope that he can do that given these are kind of his prime years. Absolutely. And you brought up guys like Ty Summers, Curtis Bolton. There's also now Kamal Martin there. There, there There's plenty of young candidates. And Tyler, your thoughts on Burks and can he sip up and become that number two inside linebacker? You know, I, I've said it multiple times on this podcast, competition truly breeds your best players. And the linebacker position is going to be one that's going to be incredibly fun to watch come training camp in July because there's, like you said, upwards of four guys who are going to compete for significant playing time behind Christian Kirksey. I don't know how many sets we're going to see with more than one linebacker this year, but the the second linebacker spot is pretty much up for grabs. I don't think Oren Burks is the lock uh, at this point in time. He's going, he, he needs to stay on the field. And it, it was always a learning curve for him as well um, coming into the NFL because he was still new to the linebacker position coming out of Vanderbilt. And he, I think the Packers were trying to be a little bit revolutionary in the sense of bringing that cover linebacker, that smaller linebacker that seems to be starting to dominate the NFL. They were really trying to find that guy in Oren Burks, uh, considering he played safety and then moved down to the linebacker position. They were really trying to find that guy and be in the forefront of that movement. Um, but now Christian Kirksey, I think he can help un- unlock Oren Burks' abilities a little bit because Christian Kirksey kind of just flies around the field. He plays very instinctively, and I love that about him. I hope he can help Oren Burks do the same thing. You mentioned his football IQ and his, his athleticism. If he can find a way to really put those two together um, and, and work as a solid partner with, with Christian Kirksey, I think we can see some really special things from that duo considering how much ground they can cover um, and, and I guess Christian Kirksey's leadership in the middle of that defense as well. Yeah, there's no doubt, and the, this linebacker spot is much more athletic than in years past, and you have in Kirksey, you have Summers, Burks, Bolton, Martin. This this team is going to be a lot faster in the middle, and that's you can only be excited about that. However, the next pick that they made is the first one that is no longer on the team, and that was Jamon Moore, who was picked 133rd. Their first pick on day three in 2018. Um, there's not much to say about Jamon Moore. Couldn't hang out of the ball, couldn't couldn't bounce back from uh, those drops, and the confidence kind of fell, and and he got cut in year two, and never really found a home. I think he's on a ninety man roster, but he hasn't done too much. I'll really give you one guess where he is, Mike. I'll give you one guess. Is it Green Bay East? It's Green Bay East. He's in Cleveland right now. <laughs> so he he replaced Jeff Janis in Cleveland. Pretty much, yeah. I think he's on their 90-man. I don't know if he makes the roster, but that's where he is at the moment. 
<clears throat> um, so essentially, pour one out for Jamon Moore. <laughs> pretty much, and, and it's exactly what you said. He, I, I think the talent was there with Jamon. Obviously, I mean, he was a fourth round pick, which is by no means an easy task in today's world. But he was a fourth round pick in the NFL draft, and the talent was there. Uh, he at Missouri, he struggled with uh, catching the ball as well consistently. He, he, his hands were never that good, but I think you were hoping that he could put it all together. He had the ability to separate. Um, we saw that numerous times. Uh, he had the ability to create separation um, at the NFL level as well. He could just never get over the confidence factor that he needed to really finish his plays and honestly just catch the football. It's, it's really as simple as that. And uh, fortunately, he got the yips, and they ended up getting the best of him. For sure. And Perry, what are your memories and what, what are your thoughts of, of Jamon? Um, I mean, I remember thinking when they took three wide receivers that the chances that all three hit are going to be slim, and that's why they did it. So the fact that we have two still on the roster that we're excited about that we'll talk about in a bit, I think, is a, a win. Um, I feel I always feel for these guys because I know how hard they work their whole lives to get to this point, and then you know for to have it kind of fall apart after you finally make a team is is hard to watch. But if you can't put it together with a Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you know, are you how are you going to do it anywhere else? Um, was kind of my thoughts about it. But I hope that he lands on his feet and maybe Cleveland's the place for him and he figures it out. Well, as Drew Carey does say, Cleveland rocks. So we'll see if Jamon Moore can can bounce back and find a spot with Baker Mayfield and, and Kevin Stefanski and, and continue to his NFL career. Their next pick was five picks later in round five, and it's one of the most fascinating stories I can remember in recent years of any traffic, not just in Green Bay, and that's Cole Madison, a uh, longtime right tackle for Washington State. In a, tra- in a pick that was originally Cleveland's, they took him, and then he, and then and, and great, good on him for doing this. He sat out his rookie year with 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 mental health and making sure he was right after a lot of stuff happened uh, around him in Washington State and all the respect to him for that and and respect to the team for staying with him and and giving him the opportunity to make sure he was right and make sure he could continue to grow as as a as a young man and and he came back made the team was never active but the future looked bright but then he tore his ACLA last year and he he's now going to be a guy where where he's going to be on the fringe of the roster he won't be ready for camp he's going to be on PUP for most likely and and it makes you put into question his NFL future and and Perry just with everything with Cole Madison, uh, what are your thoughts on him, and can he jump into that offensive line rotation once he's healthy? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm rooting for him. Like you said, he's he's been through so much, and he's worked so hard to get to where he is. And I mean, the Packers staff have always said that they believe in him, and that's why he's still around. But I just think it's such a heavy offensive line room now. I think they have 17 offensive linemen, um, where he's. It's going to be a bit of a steep climb for him, especially coming off an injury to prove that he deserves to be in the rotation. Um, it's hard for me to imagine him being anything but, you know, maybe a practice squad guy at this point, unless he makes some, you know, large leap in camp. But like you said, he, he might not even be ready for camp with his injury. So, um, I think it's going to be a tough road ahead. Um, especially with, with all the people he's going to have to jump ahead of. Yeah, because yeah, he was listed as a guard. They they tried him out a little bit at center. There were some struggles there. And uh, Tyler, I'll now swing to you. What are you? What are your thoughts on Cole Madison and 
will he be able to make the team this year, and will he be able to eventually finally get on the field? I certainly hope so. You know, as you said, it's, he's a great story. He's a great story to follow, and he's one that you certainly want to succeed. Um, you want him to to find personal success, and uh, honestly, as Perry mentioned, he does have an he's got an uphill battle to do so. He's there. There's an incoming influx of talent um, from the from the NFL draft. There's, as we mentioned, a ton of M- of NFL already. Uh, experienced, I should say, offensive lineman in front of him. He, he's going to have to really show out in camp, I think, to earn a spot. I mean, he could, his, his most realistic path to making this roster is as a backup interior offensive lineman to Elton Jenkins and, uh, Billy Turner, um, and really just kind of figuring out where he fits in that mix. I don't, you know, you said you mentioned him playing at center. He was not that successful there. I don't think he can play tackle at the NFL level. So guard is really only going, really going to be his only path to an NFL roster. And specifically on this team, that's where they have a hole. So the, the, the path is there. It's whether or not he can get onto it and really, and really make the most of his, his time in camp, considering it's going to be limited. So it's an uphill battle, but I'm rooting for the guy. So let's see what it, what he looks like in the preseason and in training camp. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said with that. Uh, again, it's a great story. I, I hope the best for him. I hope that he can find a spot and and hopefully recover from his injury and, and still find a way to stay in Green Bay. But like you guys said, it's it's going to be an uphill battle with guys like with now John Runyon there and Lane Taylor now seem to be locked in there. And then you got other rookies like Jake Hansen, uh, Simon, Simon Stepanak. There, there's a lot of guys who who are going to be battling for that spot as well. One guy who seems to be pretty safe is their next draft pick, and that's pick 172 out of Alabama, and that's punter J.K. Scott. Uh, Scott got the job as a rookie, never really looked back. He's had some consistency issues for sure, but when he is right and when he can consistently hit the ball, he has been a pretty pretty good punter. But with that, be, that being said, he does need to work on some of his mechanics. I know Sean Menenga talked a lot about his time from drop to kick. And to make sure that with, with at six foot six that his long legs get skip through quick enough to get the ball off and make sure that he's consistent with his, his impacts and and Tyler we've talked a little bit about Scott over the past couple of years here on the podcast uh, what are your thoughts on him and will he finally find that consistency late in the year to make him a valuable weapon for this team I certainly hope so because he's such a he's such a fun player to have on the team I mean he looks like he's 15 years old but I mean obviously he's what 24 I think. So he's just he's just a fun guy to have on the team. He looks like he's a great teammate. Looks like everybody enjoys having him around. He's a he's a jokester. He's a young kid. So I hope that you know he can really figure it out and and make a name for himself as the Packers punter because that's a position that they've been looking to really solidify for a long time now. Um, it's on par with inside linebacker in terms of the rotation and inconsistency of players that they've had there. So I hope he can put it together. He's got he's got the the leg talent to do it. Um, you know, third year, and, and also he's a punter. So let's. I'm gonna temper my expectations a little bit because I don't know. I don't know personally how much a punter can grow outside of. Um, it's not like a corner being able to develop new skills and coverage and and being able to learn different coverage schemes and stuff like that. So I would hope that he'd be able to grasp what Menenga is bringing onto him, considering his first year with Zook was um, 
well, we all know how we feel about Ron Zook. So moving on to Menenga, I'm hoping he can really start to unlock that. And maybe in the second offseason with him that they can really do that and he can become a consistent force and hopefully the weapon that they envisioned him being when they drafted him. Yeah, absolutely. And and this was the draft class where they really reshaped the, the, the field goal unit as well because they did draft a long snapper later, which we'll get to. And Scott became the primary holder for basically his Uncle Mason. And... and and so, so Perry, I'll go to you with, with J.K. Scott as the holder, as the punter, as really the the child of this team. What are your thoughts on Scott in going into year three? Yeah, I mean, we Mason Crosby had a fantastic season, um, and so I guess some of that does go to J.K. Scott being being the holder. So I'll, I'll have to give him props to that. Um, I mean, I think, like you guys said, the consistency thing is the problem. But if he can, you know, get it together, now he has the new coach. Um, he really is a weapon. Um, when he's on, he's really on and he can be game changing. So um, I don't really know what goes into practicing as a punter. But if he can, you know, get the reps he needs and, and practice. I mean, of course, we hope that he stays off the field, right? We don't want to be punting all the time. So um I, uh, I'm excited about him. I, I know that we've, we've cycled through a few and, and he definitely has been the best in recent years, I think since Mass Day, honestly. So, um, I, I'd like to see this unit as a three some, you know, um, into, into the second year together. No, I agree. I agree 100% with that. And I think year three is the year for him to try and step up and, and, and like I said earlier, I think Meninga said during his press conference or his Zoom call that he wants to see it a little bit quicker with with the motions with Scott because again at six foot six there's a lot to try and get through with mechanically and longer limbed players seem to have a few more issues trying to can stay consistent with their mechanics and I think Scott's working on that and I know there's a story on the Athletic about him and Hunter Bradley being neighbors and they spend a lot of time working on on long snaps and and getting things right which is always kind of a fascinating thing. But two picks after J.K. Scott, we took another wide receiver out of South Florida. That was Marquez Valdez Scanling. And MVS became became not a star, but he became a recognizable player on the field as a rookie. He made some very big plays and made some big plays as well early on last year, namely a free play in Denver, the big touchdown against Oakland, but then got hurt, had confidence issues, had some drops, ran the wrong route a few times and never really got back on the field. And Perry will go back to you first with, with MVS. This is the year he really needs to, again. Year three is, is so big for these guys and he's been on the field a lot. And for the first two, he needs to find that, that next gear and that next step and become the big play threat that everyone seems to think he can be. I completely agree. I think We've seen what he can do when he's on the same page as Aaron Rodgers. And for some reason last year, they were out of sync. Um, maybe that was a confidence thing. Maybe it's in part to his injury. Maybe it's first year in Matt LaFleur's scheme. I'm not sure. It could be, a, it's probably a combination of all three, to be quite honest. But I'm, I'm really hoping in year two, I mean, we want to jump from the offense as a whole. And I'm really, really hoping that MVS can get on the same page as Rodgers because those deep play threats, we need them. Um, he's so fast. Like we, we, I just want us to use his speed and he's, he's a large guy too. Like he, he, between his speed and his size, he can really be a mismatch for defenders. Um, and I mean, I'm rooting for him, right? Like I hope that he does well, but again, like from, I just hope that what, 
the good that we've seen isn't his ceiling. Um, and, you know, there's more, more to come for MVS. I also, my other thought with him is, is he just a one trick pony? You know, is he just a run straight down the field and, and catch the deep ball potentially from Aaron Rodgers or can we use him in other ways? So it's another thing I hope to see. Um, and that's, that's mainly Matt LaFleur, you know, figuring out, um, you know, a way to scheme up other routes for him. But, um, again, rooting for MVS because I've seen what he can do and I think he's really exciting. Definitely. And, and we, we saw a couple of those plays. We saw that out out against Oakland. Very obviously they thought high of him. They went to him after Devontae Adams got hurt and, Obviously, there was the blown PI twice with him and on the one on the goal line as well. So it seems that they do have trust in him, but he needs to find find his role. And with with the emergence of Alan Lazard, with the return of EQ, which we'll get to uh, in a few minutes as well, the, it, it be, remains to see what MVS his role is going to be. And, and Tyler, what do you think on him in year three? Where does he fit in? What what's Matt Lafleur going to do with him? Well, there's been a lot of talk this offseason about the explosive play. And so obviously that's where we look to MVS to really step up into a bigger role there. But he doesn't even have to, you know, he doesn't even have to really make the big play every game. He just has to be a threat to do it. And I think just having a threat of, of a big play in this offense is going to open up so many more things. Teams last year didn't really care to to guard the Packers deep, and rightfully so. They didn't really have anybody who could win deep other than Devontae Adams. And so even Devontae Adams is not a burner. And these guys are are very uh, say set into their skills. They have very specific skill sets, and that's that's great. And you add a guy like a Devin Funches who – I think he's a deep threat. He's a different type of deep threat. He's not going to win, you know, he's not going to win foot races, but he's going to win one-on-one battles. That's what you're hoping he can do. He can win those jump balls for Aaron Rodgers. So he's going to he's going to add a threat in the red zone, but they need they need somebody to really just be a threat to to be able to blow the top off the defense at any given play. And that's honestly what what Marquez Valdez-Scantling needs to do. And in order to do that, he's going to have to finish some of these plays that Aaron Rodgers kind of kind of really gave him on a silver platter last year. And so once he can do that, I think it's going to open things up. And obviously he makes one or two big plays, and hopefully that helps with the confidence thing. Um, Perry mentioned the uh, second year Matt LaFleur's offense. I think it's going to be huge for a lot of these guys. Um, Equinemius St. Brown, another guy we're going to talk about, I think he's a guy who can also be that guy who can open things up for you on offense. So uh, honestly, that's really all they need to do is he doesn't even have to, to catch four or five, six passes a game. If he can catch one or two for 40 yards – that's going to be good for this offense. Absolutely, and I agree with you. And that, and that, and you talked about Equinemia St. Brown, who was conveniently the next pick that the Packers made at 207 in round six. A guy who I was shocked was still there in round six. The talent was undeniable. He had pretty good numbers at Notre Dame, even with some inconsistent quarterback play and dealing with Brian Kelly's offense. But St. Brown, it took him a while to get going. He had a really good end of his rookie year. Still has one of the greatest crackback blocks I've ever seen. But then last year, thanks to Canadian football services, gets hurt again against Oakland, and he and he's put on injury reserve and was gone for the year. He wasn't eligible to return because they had to put him on before the cutdown day. And this year, he's, he's going to be a big year for him as well. Can How big was that injury? Can he bounce back from it? Can he get onto the field? Can he, can he compete with, for snaps with Funches, Lazard, MVS? If they bring in another guy like a Taylor Gabriel, will he be able to find a spot there? And and Perry, I'll go back. To, I'll go back to you first with, with EQ. What is his role going to be in twenty in twenty twenty? 
Oh man, I'm such an EQ stan. I'm so excited to have him back. I really, really loved him his rookie season. I actually thought that he was going to be the guy over MVS. Unfortunately, obviously his injury took him out last season. Um, I see him as such a slot mismatch guy. I mean, he's six five, but he's so shifty and he's really great with yards after the catch. Um, Rogers loves throwing to him on the sideline. He had this one, I can't remember which which game maybe you guys remember just this really fantastic sideline grab, um, you know, for, for a first down his rookie season. And those are just some of the things that you can't, you can't coach. Um, and his, his connection with Rogers was, it took a little bit, but halfway through the season w- was pretty strong. Um, and I think a lot of the league thinks that, you know, we need all this help with wide receiver and we only have Devonte Adams and we didn't do anything. We didn't draft and maybe they're just not paying attention to some of our depth, but I really think EQ can be that guy to come in. I'm still very high on Alan Lazard, but they're very different players. Um, and I, I'm really, I'm just, I, uh, I think that he can come in and be that like X factor that no one really expects and no one knows what to do with because, you know, there's not a lot of tape on him. So he, he can really surprise people. No, I'm with I'm with you, and I think that player thinking about it was the San Francisco game, where they were making that comeback, and they did. It was basically an unseen hand signal where they had him run a back shoulder on the sideline, and, and he was able to make that play, and, and it really kind of showed his connection with Rodgers. And uh, Tyler, as I turn to you, what are your thoughts on Equinemius St. Brown, and can he be that that guy who who steps up and helps the Packers alleviate some of these questions at wide receiver? You know, honestly, I was a big fan of uh, EQ coming out of Notre Dame as well. And for a lot of the reasons that I think a lot of people are, he's just a tremendous athlete. He's such a smooth athlete. Like I, the way he, the way he shifts from one gear to another, the way he makes his cuts uh, on the field is just, it, it, it looks effortless. And that to me, that really speaks to his ability as a route runner and what he can do there and how he can be impactful. I don't think that he's a, I don't think he's destined for a career as an outside receiver. I do think that if if he's going to be impactful in this offense, he's going to be as a slot guy. There's also been talk of moving Devontae Adams into the slot, which I think would also be an effective move. But for for EQ, he's going to have to stay healthy, obviously, because now he's got half of his NFL career is gone to an injury, so we have to talk about it. I don't think he's necessarily injury-prone. Uh, when he was coming out of Notre Dame, uh, there were some concerns about him being quote-unquote soft. Uh, these are just things I saw. And so... I don't, I haven't seen that manifest itself yet in his NFL career, uh, but he was never really a physical guy either, so he's gonna have to win with separation. He's not gonna go up and win a ton of contested catches, and that's fine if he finds himself into a specific role and really thrives in it. So, he may have to be schemed open again for his third year, considering he missed his entire second year, but that game against Oakland, he looked impressive before he got hurt. He looked good. And if I remember correctly, I don't think we had seen too much of him before that game either. That was the first time we really got a good look at EQ that year, and he unfortunately went down um, with that ankle injury. And so maybe, you know, if the Packers had uh, three uh, players they could have brought, brought back from IR like they will this upcoming year, maybe they would have brought him back last year. Maybe he was healthy enough to do that because I remember there being um, discussions as to whether or not that they could do that at the end of the year. Um Ultimately, I think they decided to save EQ from himself and let him really get that ankle fully healthy. So I'm I'm confident he'll come back fully healthy for, for training camp and preseason. And I'm excited to see him pick up where he left off uh, in last year's preseason, um, which just seems like an eternity ago now. No, and you're spot on. And I, and I remember that catch where he got hurt. It was a great catch over the middle. He made a great adjustment. And 
it was just one of those weird fluke injuries. So yeah, I agree. I don't know if he's injury prone, but I do think there are some questions now about whether he can make that next step. That's real. We all just want to see St. Brown get a touchdown and jump in and do a Lambo leap with St. Vince and just, just to see the imagery there. But that being said, there's three more draft picks to get to, and we can go through these ones fairly quickly because they really weren't super impactful. The first one at 232. Out of California, they took defensive end James Looney. Looney never really got in the field as a defensive lineman, has switched positions, is now a tight end, and is looking to kind of step in as a roster spot as that primary blocking tight end. Maybe Mercedes Lewis 2.0. Tyler, what do you see from Looney? You're a defensive line guy. What have you seen from Looney? And can he transition and have a chance at this roster? You know, he was always uh, a little bit of a tweener coming out of California. He, he couldn't decide, um, well, not he, but it couldn't be decided if he was going to be an edge or if he was going to put put his hand in the dirt consistently and be a 3-4 defensive lineman or 4-3 defensive end. He really didn't have a position to call home. They were drafting the athlete and hoping that they could mold him into something. So I think moving him to tight end is incredibly interesting, not something I ever thought would happen but they obviously see some kind of potential or ability there. And I think his ceiling at this point is as a uh, core special teamer, probably. And so you're really hoping you can put him on special teams and he can make an impact there somehow. Um, but honestly, moving him to tight end, I, I think you're just trying to do whatever you can to get the most out of the athlete. And so we'll see if they can get him uh, into a role for 2020. He's going to have an uphill battle considering how crowded that tight end room has be, suddenly become. But it, it, there, there's opportunity there for him to make an impact in that role, and so we'll see what see, we'll see what the Packers see, and hopefully, hopefully, it manifests itself on the field. Uh, absolutely, and, and and Perry, with your thoughts on Looney, can he become for a lot of younger Packer fans who won't know this name? Can he breathe and be the next Brandon Manu Maliuna? Um, <laughs> I mean. I, I don't know. I think my thought with James Looney is that for a position I, I feel is a need on the defensive line for us to give up a defensive lineman, allow him to switch to tight, tight end, um, says a lot to me. Like, obviously they didn't think he could make an impact at defensive end. So, you know, like Tyler said, maybe they think they can get something out of him at tight end. Um, but I also think it's another uphill battle for him in this room because it's so crowded. Um, you know, maybe he could come in and, and help block. Um, it, it feels to me like, uh, Matt LaFleur wants to use a lot of two tight end sets, which, you know, should be very, um, common or people should recognize that a lot <laughs> if you've been watching Packers games for a long time. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see him getting on the field much, um, or, or making any kind of super high surprising impact. Um, maybe a rotational guy, but. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think he's a long shot of long shots to make this team. I think it was more to save his career because it happened, I think, midway through last year. They made the, the change to tight end. He dropped a little bit of weight, and they seemed to think he was good on the scout team. So we'll see what training camp looks like. But with an abbreviated training camp, with everything going on, that could hurt his chances in going into 2020. Their next pick at 239 was one that I think that a lot of people were kind of surprised by, which was Hunter Bradley. The the long snapper from Mississippi State with one functioning knee for essentially, and he he came in, won the job as a rookie, and he's been the long snapper the last two seasons, and he's just gotten better in every game. It seems like he he's had a couple wayward snaps a little bit compared to what we we were used to from Brett Good and and Rick Lovato, but he but Bradley seems to have kind of come into his own. He's athletic, 
he he's young, and I think with J.K. Scott, he can help form the nucleus of the special teams group going forward. And Tyler, what what do we know about Hunter Bradley? What have we seen from him, and what's his role going to be in 2020? And can he be the long-term long snapper that the Packers need? Well, I think, you know, Hunter Bradley played tight end, if, if I remember correctly. I think he played tight end back in college and obviously did, did some long stepping. Yeah. So, I mean, he was another athletic guy that they're just kind of putting on the field and they found, they found a position for him to call home other, rather than what James Looney is going through right now. Um, they, they determined that Bradley could be a good long snapper. I think we have seen some good development from him in that, in that role. Obviously he's a long snapper, so let's be honest, the development is kind of probably going to hit its ceiling at some point here soon, but, um, you know, if you can find that guy in the seventh round, a pick that is normally just a lottery ticket and not even a good lottery ticket, if you can find somebody to be your long snapper for 10 years, that's a huge success in the seventh round, in my opinion. So um, good on Hunter Bradley. I think that he has done well uh, in his first couple of seasons. Um, we'll see how much more he can improve. I don't know if there's a ranking of long snappers anywhere. I might have to go find some some uh, offensive line guru degenerate on Twitter and, and see what they think. But I'm sure that there are um, – I'm sure that there are – a ranking of long snappers somewhere, and I don't know where Hunter Bradley would be on there, but he's solid. And so I, if, if at a position which can really hurt you if you don't have somebody solid, I'm glad that they've got a guy that they trust and that the punter trusts and that the kicker trusts. So, No, you're absolutely right. And I, I still think my biggest memory of Bradley is the game I was at last year, the Monday night game against Detroit, when he was the guy who pushed Mason Crosby into the stands after the game-winning field goal for the Lambeau Leap. And like that does show the connection that he has with with Wilson Crosby with J.K. Scott and and apparently it's hard to evaluate a long snapper because it's snap the ball make sure it's good get downfield. Uh, what have you seen from Bradley and is is he the guy for the next ten years? Yeah, just like you said, I mean. It sounds simple, but it's actually really important. Um, and watching Mason Crosby have a really great season like he did, obviously, we were bringing him back. We talked about J.K. Scott. I think just keeping this nucleus together um, and the cohesion and the trust that they have with each other is is going to be really important going forward. I, I think switching it out, switching him out and, and switching it up um, would just cause some I don't know, unrest, if you will. Um, so he, like, like we've said, he's a solid guy. He does his job well. Um, and why kind of, if it's broke, don't fix it to me, you know, keep him around as long as he's, he's doing what he needs to. And JK Scott and Mason Crosby both trust at, that he's going to do his job well. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And, and he's also a very good story of a guy who I think he had three ACL tears in college and came back and has made the NFL. Oh my God. As, and, and he's become, he's become, and a legitimate NFL player, and so and so best for Hunter Bradley, and hopefully that this position is solidified now for a long time, like we saw with with Brett Good. Their final pick at two forty eight, and like Tyler said, seventh round picks are lottery tickets, and a lot of times they're more scratch offs than Powerball, and that's where we get to not not to talk bad about Kendall Donerson because the athleticism was beyond the charts. He was very freakish out of southeast southeast Missouri State, and. The limited film we had was kind of scary how, how much he was able to dominate some of the competition, but I think he got a little bit uh, banged up, couldn't really get on the field as a practice squad guy, and was eventually released in final cuts last year, and I don't know if he's on a roster now, but Tyler, what are your memories of Kendall Donerson as in, in the NFL? He certainly had a cult following. Um, I was not a member of that cult, 
but it existed and people were big fans for Kendall Donerson and what he could possibly do on the football field. I think anytime you have an athlete the caliber of Donerson, it's, it's exciting to think about what he can do and what, and if he can get on the field, you know, let him see if he can live up to that expectations and potential. Unfortunately, I just don't think, I think honestly he fell victim to playing at Southeastern Missouri State. He didn't get to play against top level competition and it really affected him. He probably became a little bit, depe- a little bit too dependent upon his athleticism to win rather than uh, some of the technicalities that come into playing uh, the edge or defensive end or linebacker position, whatever you want to call him. Um, honestly, I don't think he had a home either. I think they were just trying to find somewhere for the athlete to play. Um, common theme here, it looks like, with these last few picks, but honestly, uh, just didn't work out. And, you know, I don't think anybody was really um, had super high expectations for Donison, unfortunately, just because of, you know, he was one of the last picks of the 2018 draft. But, um you know, it was it was fun. Uh, it was fun while he was in Green Bay to think about what he could have done if he had been able to get on the field a little bit more. Yeah, we definitely we definitely have a thing as Packer fans with our cult favorites, and whether it was Donerson, Jeff Janis, Jared Aberderis, and it, it, it's it's always a fascinating thing to see, and and make it makes life a little bit more fun every time we do it. But Donerson, last time I I was just able to quick look it up. He was, he was with the Raiders. He was signed to a reserve futures deal, but he got cut about three weeks ago. So it looks like he is out there as a free agent. And Perry, what, do you have any memories of Donerson? Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, Goot loves his freaky athletes. I think that's probably why he took him. Um, you don't expect much that late in the seventh round. I think you guys hit it hit the nail on the head there with like, it's just a lottery ticket. I also think when you're coming into a room that's filled with the edge guys that we have, it's going to be really hard to claw your way up to get, to get any kind of meaningful snaps. I mean, maybe he could have done something on special teams for us, but um, you know, you always hope that when you draft a guy, it's not a wasted pick and they can do something. Unfortunately, that's just not always the case. Um, And so I, I hope that he finds a home. I hope he figures out, you know, what, um, you know, what's going to make him a successful NFL player and, and he can get on a team that, that will give him that opportunity. 100% and hopefully he can find a spot and, and find a way in the NFL in 2020. As that is the actual draft class, but there are some undrafted guys who are, there's still four of them still on the roster from 2018. And that's not including Alan Lazard, who was on the Jaguars undrafted class in 2018. But we have... Everyone's favorite Tim Boyle Laser Show, Raven Green, Tyler Lancaster, and Perry's personal favorite Alex Light, who who have who have made the team the past two seasons as undrafted free agents and have really carved out roles. Two of them are essentially starters, and and so so Perry, we'll go to you first uh, among the undrafted guys. Having four make the team for multiple years has got to be a pretty pretty bright mark for Brian Gutekunst. Yeah, I mean that's just. A shout out to the scouts, I think, doing, doing their due diligence on, on guys and getting really good value without giving up draft picks. I mean, the one that, that excites me the most, I think, is Raven Green. Um, I think he fits with Pet and Scheme so well. Um, I'm really hoping he can stay healthy and, and get some snaps on the field. I really like him as that kind of hybrid safety linebacker role in the box. Um, he just adds a lot of value and, and power to the defense. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Alex Light. Obviously, we we went to college together, go Spiders, and um, you know, it's it's a tough road when you're coming from a small small school like we were. Um, we don't we don't send a lot of guys to the NFL. We don't get a lot of um, you know, NFL scouts out. So the fact that he he was able to to claw his way up um, and get on a team, and not just that, I mean, he had some starts when he had to, and and he held it down okay. Obviously, you know, we think you know he's not an actual starter, but he's a great depth piece and. You know, as a fellow spider, I'm I'm really proud of him. Well, absolutely, and with with the undrafted class from the football hotbeds of James Madison, Eastern Kentucky, Richmond, and Northwestern, it's it's definitely paid off for the Packers. And, and Tyler, what what are your views of this undrafted class? Again, outside of Raven Green, it seems like mostly depth guys, uh, role players, but but still having four of them continue on the roster is definitely a pretty good thing to see. Well, I think the most interesting one is obviously Tim Boyle. I mean, this guy was an undrafted quarterback and he fought his way to from basically getting Deshaun Kaiser kicked off the roster and taking the backup quarterback spot. That's pretty impressive in my mind. Um, and the fact that they were able to find themselves a backup quarterback that they felt like they could trust for a period of time, they could find that through the undrafted free agency process, I think really speaks to the scouts, as you were saying, and, and really doing your due diligence and, and doing a full evaluation of the entire class. Uh, Raven Green is a guy I'm excited to see what he can do. He was seemed, he seemed to be on the up and up before he got hurt last year. Uh, I really see I want to see what Patton has in mind for him. You know, he's another guy that is going to add to that competition for that linebacker spot with Oren Burks and Ty Summers. Uh, th- those guys have so many people to worry about, and, and not only that, the scheme itself. Uh, I want to see what what they decide to do with Raven Green. Um, Alan Lazard, obviously, we saw what he did last year with the limited uh, snaps that he ended up getting. Um, from, I guess, the Jaguars, and I think he ended up somewhere else, maybe, I'm not sure. I might be misremembering that, but when he, when he got to Green Bay, the things he was able to do, I want to see him continue to build on that, and, you know, the, even last year's UDFA class with a guy like Shannon Sullivan, there, there are some hits here that make you say, okay, well, the Packers are doing their work, they're finding these guys, they're coming in, they're being impactful, so I want to see them continue to build on that impact. I mean, I treat, you treat these guys like drafted rookies once they start to, once they start to emerge on a roster like an Alan Lazard has, and, Honestly, it's his third year now, so he needs to take that third-year leap. And I think that's something that McCarthy talked about all the time when he was here, is you talked about the third-year leap, and that's what all these guys need to do this year. 100%. And I guess one last name that I'll just I'll just mention briefly, because he, he did make the team for one year, and that was James Crawford, who joined the team in August, absolutely lit up most of the Kansas City Chiefs roster in a preseason game, and became a core special teamer for one season before moving on to Miami last year. But still, a, a good undrafted class, a promising, if if inconsistent and a little bit unknown yet, 2018 draft class itself. It'll remain to see what year three holds, but definitely the future could be very bright for the Green Bay Packers roster from this draft class moving forward as well. So as we wrap things up, uh, Perry Goldstein, where can people find you and what are you working on? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Um, I podcast once a week with Maggie Loney, who I'm sure you know from another Pack a Day Day. Um, our podcast is called Packs What She Said. Um, and if you're ever in need for some Packers uh, trivia, I do that with Cheesehead TV as well um, almost every evening. And, and to make sure some people can find you, Perry with an I, correct? Correct, yeah, P-E-R-R-I. So make sure to go and follow her. Tyler, where can people find you? Um, as always, on Twitter, at Tyler underscore Grez, T-Y-L-E-R underscore G-R-E-Z. 
Um, as of right now, I'm still just at Dynasty Nerds, uh, kind of looking, kind of looking through the different uh, landscape of websites right now to see if there might be another opportunity to start writing about Packer football again specifically. So um, we'll see. But uh, I'm on Twitter, so make sure you follow me over there, and you'll catch everything that I'm that I'm putting out. And you can find me on Twitter at Mike Wendland, all one word, W-E-N-D-L-A-N-D-T. Uh, I took a little bit of time off from writing about some stuff right now. It's it's weird without high school sports going on right now because that's primarily been my day job. So that's really odd right now trying to figure out what to do with my life. But so but again, I'll, I'm I'm active on Twitter, so follow me there. Follow all of us there. Follow the Packet A. Follow Packet A podcast there at Packet A podcast, and 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 give all these contributors also the support. It, it's been fun working with these guys for the past couple of years. It's fun to hear these different voices every day. And it, and it's fun to have a chance to bring you guys content every single day. So again, follow us at Packaday Podcasts and wherever podcasts are found, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, we're there. Give us a subscription, give us a like, uh, give us a comment, let us know how we can improve and make make this experience even better for you guys. And so, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay stay safe, and of course, and as always, go pack. Up.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.